Hey there, Desi Crime fans. I'm your host, Aryan. And I'm Ishwarya. And welcome back to another episode of the Desi Crime podcast. This podcast is run by two 20-year-olds from research to recording to post-production and social media. If you have the means, please contribute to our Patreon. And if you don't, please share our episodes and posts on your social media. Be a loyal Desi crew member. Go to patreon.com slash desicrime. We would like to thank our latest patrons, Vanit Kaur, Amanda McCarthy, Kiran Sangha, Sagar Patel, Siddhi Vyas and Smriti Sudhir. Thank you for showing your love and you all are in for a big treat as we are working on remodeling the Patreon. Your contributions help sustain the show. We are naturally drawn to stories with the Romeo and Juliet archetype, the forbidden love breaking through the shackles of society and igniting the sparks of the passion they share. We fantasize about that. But often we forget the end of Romeo and Juliet. This romantic Shakespearean saga culminated into the two lovers tragically dying, dying because of their love. Well, Romeo and Juliet seem to have been reborn in the form of Mittu and Jassie, our lovers in today's saga. As passionate as their love was, it was up against an even more passionate fervor to resist love, to repress love. This is the story where tradition forced love into death. This is the story of Mittu and Jassie. Ishwarya, I am unable to grasp people's hate for other people loving whoever they want to. I mean, I can sociologically try and understand what shaped those behaviours. But what genuinely puzzles me is the length to which some people are willing to go simply to prevent someone else's love from nurturing. This takes many forms in our society. Homosexual, intercaste and interfaith marriages being belittled and berated. To be so deeply impacted by a relationship that in no shape or form affects you directly bewilders me. But I suppose if humans need a reason to be unhappy, we are pretty gosh darn good at finding one. And I think, Aryan, now we understand that love doesn't... Someone else's love, at the very least, doesn't directly affect their family members and doesn't directly affect society at large. It's just two people deciding to be happy together. But to these people that hold these beliefs and go to these lengths to prevent someone's love from nurturing, as you say, it does deeply and directly in their own mind affect them. And that narrative is shaped by culture, it's shaped by religion, it's shaped by a mirage of things. But I think it's the belief that there is loss and damage to you and your identity and your pride if your daughter marries outside of your caste or if your son is gay. So I think that's where the change is. That's where we're seeing society change its belief. And this change and this impact is what this story is entirely about. Someone commented on one of our Instagram reels rhetorically asking if this season of Desi Crime was love stories gone wrong. You know, we had Anu Singh, <laughs> disappearance of Sneha, bedbox murder and so on. 
It's a decent guess. Well, I don't know about this season, but the story of Mithu and Jassi is certainly one such. But it is more than a story of love gone awry. And to better understand it, we turn the clock back to the beginning of this millennium, the year 2000. Before we dive in though, we'd like to remind all our Desi listeners that the Desi Crime Podcast family has grown and it wouldn't have happened without all of you. We've partnered with Lost Debate, which is a media startup based out of New York. And not only have they invested in us, they've launched the Lost Debate, podcast and YouTube show for political nerds who want more nuance from the news and a good faith look at the issues. And guess who is one of the reporters for that show? Your second favorite co-host, Aryan. <laughs> ha, ha, Aishwarya. I don't have a good comeback, so don't know what to say. But the point is, if you're interested in all kinds of news with a nuanced dive, and more importantly, want to show love to your <clears throat> second favorite co-host, yours truly, go to The Lost Debate Show for an unbiased understanding of American politics wherever you get your podcasts. Sometime on June 8th, 2000, in a small town in Ludhiana, Mithu receives a call from Canada. Mithu's full name is Sukhwinder Singh Sidhu, but as Punjabi tradition dictates, one must adopt a nice, short and sweet nickname. Sukhwinder landed up with Mithu. Now, Mithu was a young Kabaddi star loved by all the locals. He is a charming athlete who has led his team to victory on countless occasions. At the moment, he is at his uncle's house in Maler Kotla with his wife, Jassi Sidhu. Maler Kotla is a small village in Punjab when he receives this call from Canada of all places. Now, even though Canada has a huge Punjabi population, Mithu doesn't know anybody directly there, so it was kind of out of the ordinary for him to be receiving a call with the plus one Canadian extension code. The call is from a town in Canada called Maple Ridge, a town known for its blueberry fields and immigrant community. On the other side of the phone is an old woman. Her name is Malkeet Kaur Sidhu. But even though this call from Canada is a surprise, Mithu does know Malkeet, even though he has never talked to Malkeet before. Malkeet is Jassi's mother. Malkeet is Mithu's mother-in-law. The only issue is, Malkeet Kaur never gave her blessings for this marriage. She rejected the idea that her daughter Jassi will marry a kabaddi player named Mithu from Ludhiana. But it turned out to be a pleasant surprise instead. Kaur didn't call all the way from Canada to argue and insult Mithu or demand that Jassi comes back as she had been doing previously. In fact, she called to give this young couple her blessings. On the call, Malkeet gave Mithu permission to come back to Canada with Jassi and start a family in Maple Ridge. The couple was overjoyed. It meant a lot to Jassi, obviously, to get her mother's blessings and approval. I think from growing up in India and hearing of these stories throughout my childhood, I am naturally suspicious of families that suddenly go back on their resistance very quickly and without anything happening. But I understand how when it's your own mother and you've longed for her acceptance of your love for so long, her actually giving you that acceptance is a great day for you. It's probably one of the best days in your life since your marriage. Um, But it sounds off to me as you're saying it. Yeah, and I can absolutely see how getting 
blessings and and uh, an affirmation of your own partner from your parents is such a big deal and as we'll come to find out in the story we'll see how this change of mind in Jessie's mother actually took place or if it took place at all oof after hanging up the call mittu and jassi went shopping for their upcoming reception they were organizing a small party to celebrate their wedding and so they went into the city to the bazaar to purchase the required amenities as the sun began to set the couple was heading back home on a scooter the orange summer skies of punjab towered over the lovers as jassi grabbed mittu from behind while sitting on that two wheeler but this beautiful dusk drive soon took a dark and unexpected turn as they were both passing a nala or a canal out of nowhere a car appears while that in and of itself didn't raise alarm bells what happened next did after blocking off the road four to five men appeared from the car they were armed with traditional six sword called a kripar as well as sharpened hockey sticks Mittu and Jassi were caught off guard. This was supposed to be a day of celebration. They just got Jassi's mom's blessings. They were preparing for a party. It all seemed to be going well. But now they are confronted with armed men. These assailants walk towards the couple and grab Mittu first. Mittu hasn't ever seen them before and neither has Jassi. They grab him, throw him to the ground and begin thrashing him. He is kicked punched stabbed as one of his friend later recalls after seeing Mitu's body quote his skull was all open his fingers looked chopped off unquote after leaving Mitu's body mutilated the men now set their eyes on Jassi when they approach her their attitude towards her is different they do not thrash her like they did Mitu they shove her into their car and kidnap her who are these men why did they kidnap Jassi Initially Aran on its surface it appears to be a burglary that was my first thought it's fairly common in India for thieves to block a car and then ransack the passengers in the car but then you mentioned the different treatment towards Mithu over Jassi which makes me think they might be rapists but the precision with which they did all of this it almost seems kind of planned and like always Ashwarya annoyingly enough you get straight into the heart of the question Was this planned or was this just another petty crime that escalated to a violent attack? But what happened to Jassi after she was shoved into her car? All in good time. All in good time. But to understand this incident, it requires some digging into Jassi's past. We are forced to step out of Punjab, in fact, step out of India to get to the origins of the story. For that, we'll have to go all the way to Maple Ridge in Canada. a town whose slogan is welcome to maple ridge a safe and livable community but exactly how safe and how livable it is we'll soon come to find out this region of canada is known for its strong sikh immigrant community within that community one of the family is jassies her parents moved to canada in search for a better life and actually found one jassi is a member of one of maple ridge's most powerful families Her uncle Surjit Singh Badesha was a powerful businessman who owned acres and acres of blueberry fields. Surjit Badesha was Malkit Kaur's eldest brother. Apart from being Jassi's uncle or mama, he didn't really have a stake in how she lived her life. 
until the day a tragedy unfolded. Jassi's father, Baghdar Singh, was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Despite his battles, he soon succumbed to his illness and passed away. Now the responsibilities of fatherhood were bestowed upon Surjit Patesha. So this family was led by Surjit. And when I say family, think of almost a kingdom. Three generations of this family, aunts, uncles, siblings, grandparents, all lived under one giant roof. They had a massive house and inside its walls was a different world, a world from a different century and different continent. Even though this house was geographically in Canada, it was culturally still shackled to a small conservative village from Punjab. This family abided by extremely conservative values. And what this meant for women of the family vastly differed from what it meant for the men, as we'll come to find out. Jassi was born in 1975 in this conservative household. Her childhood was quite closeted. Her entire life was primarily spent within the walls of Maple Ridge Mansion. That mansion had 15 to 20 rooms and was located in the middle of a blueberry field. As one journalist describes it, it was almost like a commune of its own. On the surface, it would appear that Jussie had a normal childhood. She went to Pitt Meadows Secondary School like every other child in that neighbourhood did. But upon coming back home, she wasn't allowed to go out and play with her friends. Her high school principal, Jim Longridge, describes her as a friendly, studious and agreeable student, but he also mentions that she was peculiarly quiet and didn't hang out with her friends very often. After getting back home, a majority of Jussie's time went into household chores. Her studies weren't a priority. After all, she was to be married, and that tends to be the purpose ascribed to women in several traditions. Now, imagine Ishwarya. On one hand, you're in a family which is extremely restrictive and controlling. But on the other hand, you live in a country like Canada, where you're seeing your friends live a very different life, a much freer life. Wouldn't you feel all the more choked when you can see freedom but not experience it? I think I really would. Compared to living a life like that in India, I think living it mm. in a country that ascribes to different values would be much, much harder. And I've lived in the US for about three and a half years now. And what I've noticed is that somehow Indians and people in general from the Indian subcontinent that move to these countries tend to somehow become more conservative after they move there. It's almost as if that they're scared that they're losing out on an identity that their parents passed on to them, which is truly theirs. So they stick more closely to conservative Indian traditions, making life for their children kind of a living hell. And then their children resent them. And it's a cycle of, I would say, in many ways, bad parenting. And this observation applies to the family in question right now that even though they've moved all the way to Canada from India, their conservative values have only fostered. So I think your observation might have a general application and is true to some extent. Jussie truly discovered what she was missing out on in life after she graduated high school, which is when she made perhaps her first ever truly rebellious decision to join a graduate program. And not just any graduate program, Jussie decided to join an aesthetics and beauty school to become a beautician. Now, forgive me, Ashwara, but what exactly is the job of a beautician? 
it's essentially a person whose job is to do like hair styling and manicures and provide other beauty services usually they work at a salon at the beginning perhaps eventually own a salon but that's kind of it see i knew i was asking the right person so <laughs> it is important that i make two key observations here the first is the nature of being a beautician makeup fashion and that world is not necessarily the most conservative nor do women in such fields dress or act in accordance with the extremely rigid conservative values so even though jassi's family allowed her to attend this school they amped up their control jassi was monitored all the time the school where she studied was owned and operated by deb devos who happened to be jassi's instructor as well Even Deb, much like Jim Longridge, her principal, describes Jussie to be friendly but quiet. Deb recalls how around lunchtime all the other girls would gather and go out, but Jussie would stay in, or how like on Friday nights when her friends went out for drinks, Jussie never did. But the need for increased vigilance resulted in her family monitoring her even more than they usually did. Deb recounts how on multiple occasions Jussie's brother along with his friend or in fact sometimes even Jussie's cousins would follow her to her school and keep an eye on her. Deb was naturally concerned by this and asked her if she knows the men following her, but Jussie dismissed it as if it were just a normal thing and not a problem. But as Jussie and Deb's relationship deepened, Jussie opened up to her. On one occasion Deb recalls that Jussie shared she hated going back home. The second thing that you all need to note is a more superficial observation but one that is true nonetheless. Jussie is a tall and beautiful girl. Being in the beauty industry is befitting to her looks and physical disposition. But this beauty comes at a cost and not a metaphorical cost but a monetary cost. Jassie was a means for the Badesha family to get some more money into the household. One plan was to auction the right to marry her to someone willing to pay half a million dollars to get Canadian citizenship. Oh my god. Essentially, marrying a Canadian national automatically makes you a Canadian citizen, so there is an entire industry where citizenships are purchased in this manner. But the even more lucrative path was to marry Jussie to a rich Canadian. In fact, her family had even found a man likely to marry her, a 60-year-old Punjabi businessman who was the same age as Jussie's uncle Surjeet. So in What? all likelihood, the family had made up its mind to marry this young, beautiful 24-year-old woman to a 60-year-old man just because he was Surjeet's business partner and wealthy. Jassi had no say in this process a process that impacted her more than anyone else so as time passed at this beauty school i suspect jassi learned more about life and what it has to offer because slowly but certainly conflicts arise at a greater pace the once quiet jassi now found herself confronting her family publicly on a couple of occasions Deb divorce recounts how one time Surjeet Singh himself showed up to the beauty school and grabbed Jassi by her arm. Deb rushed out to see what was happening. Surjeet was shouting at Jassi in Punjabi while the only words that escaped Jassi's mouths were quote no no no. When Deb told Surjeet that he cannot just take Jassi out on his own will, he ignored her and didn't even make eye contact. 
To him, Deb was an obstacle in the way. Jussie wasn't seen for three whole days and missed school, and this happened a couple of times, not just once. To further their reach into Jussie's personal life, Surjeet and other family members did not let Jussie cash her own paychecks. And this, to me, is particularly notable. Snatching away a woman's financial freedom is a guaranteed way to effect control over her. Even though Jussie was earning money as a beautician, she had no control over any of it. So you are now getting an idea of the kind of life Jussie lived. Every step had to be carefully planned and thought out. Any missteps led to reprimand and punishment. But the more Jussie learned, I feel she realized that she was like a bird in a cage. This cage for too long was invisible, but I think Jussie was maturing and seeing the bars that trapped her. Around 1994, talks of getting Jussie married are heating up. In December of 1994, Jussie visits Konke Khosla, her mother Malkit Kaur's hometown in Punjab. One day, as she was walking the streets of Punjab, she locked eyes with a man in a rickshaw. Their gaze affixed at each other, and it was what romantics call love at first sight. And this man in the rickshaw was none other than Sukhwinder Singh Sidhu, lovingly known as Mithu. When Jussie and Mithu got into the tempo rickshaw together, Mithu says they couldn't stop looking at each other. He asked her where she was from. Shyly, she responded that she's from Canada, and apparently that's all it required, according to Mithu, who says that he was instantly lost in love with her. उस टाइम मैं उन्हें देखिया उन्हें मिन्नू देखिया भी बहुत सरमिंदा जो होके सांग के जी मिन्नू दस्या मेरा नाम जिस मिन्नू दस्या भी मैं किनारे तो आया उस टाइम ही बस पता नहीं चलिया प्यार हो गया सब में कुछ दिन What you just heard is an audio tape of Mithu talking about Jussie. Okay, so Aran, at this point, we know a lot about Jussie's life, and we also know that her family doesn't approve of Mithu. But was there anything in Mithu's background? What do we know about him? Is there something in his life that makes him dangerous or an unsuitable partner for Jussie? There's a little background I was able to dig up on him, but his background only makes his case as a romantic partner even stronger. <laughs> Much like Jussie, Mithu's early life was extremely difficult as well. He was one of the many young Sikhs caught in the crossfire of Operation Blue Star when the Indian Army attacked the Golden Temple back in 1984. Mithu was suspected to be a terrorist when he was just a young teenager. and the police among other things tortured and electrocuted him until he was unconscious and foaming from his mouth mithu was desperately in search of a new beginning so he shaved his head and gave up his turban he revoked the symbols of his religion so as to not be associated with the negative connotations that were rife in 1980s rebuilding a new life from scratch was going to be tough But the fresh start he was looking for found him in the shape of a sport, India's much beloved kabaddi. For those who don't know what kabaddi is, how should I describe it, Ashwarya? So, I don't watch a lot of kabaddi, but it's basically a contact team sport, um, and it's played with two teams. I think there's seven players on each side. I'm not sure though. And, yeah, and uh, I guess it is like if tag wrestling and rugby exactly, had a baby. Exactly. Yep. It would be kabaddi. 
Right. But Mittu found a natural spark in this sport. He excelled at it and soon became a local star. He started playing kabaddi professionally and toured Punjab in that process. It was while touring for a kabaddi game his path crossed Jussie's and the rest is history. They fell in love. Mittu used to secretly visit Jussie's window late at night and they'd hold hands and spend hours with each other. As they spent more time, their relationship consolidated into something more than just young love. I wish I could end the story here. You know, they saw each other, fell in love and lived happily ever after. But from whatever little you all know about Jussie, you know it isn't going to be simple by any stretch of the imagination. And there are so many reasons for this. Mittu is a local star. But he's not wealthy by any means. He's just a kabaddi player. Neither is Mittu the same caste as Jussie's, which would certainly be another red flag for Malkit and Surjit Padesha. And then there is the logistical issue that plagues most relationships at one stage or another. Everyone's favorite, long-distance <laughs> relationship. Oof. And not just any long-distance relationship. If Mittu and Jussie were to nurture this innocent love, they would have to do it across different continents in the 1990s. There ain't no FaceTime video calls and WhatsApp messages. The only form of communication that this to-be couple had was writing letters. Couples that maintained long-distance relationships in the 1990s, they were the true romantics and the true lovers. I don't think anybody else understands that. Hashtag goals is what they were. The respect I have. Oh my God. (laughs) And towards the final days of Jussie's India trip, the couple madly expressed how much they wanted to be with each other. Jussie said that she couldn't live without Mithu and she promised that one day they will both be together. It was time for her to go. What was next for the couple, they didn't know. But they sure as hell did not give up. When Jussie got back to Canada, she was confronted with a barrage of potential suitors, all of whom she said no to. While they may not have been able to secretly hold hands at midnight, the couple began writing letters to each other. Jupinderjeet Singh, one of Mithu's best friends, says that Mithu didn't know how to read English and Jussie wrote all her letters in English, so he had translated about 256 letters for the couple. What a friend to have. But I can imagine it got weird sometimes, right? Like Mithu would be so self-conscious while writing corny and cheesy sentences <laughs> only to know his male best friend is going to read it. I mean, I'd be hella embarrassed. That's so cute. And that makes the letter so much cuter because the amount of effort that has gone into writing them and exactly. sending them. That's just adorable. In fact, I was able to dig up some of these letters. Ishwara, can you read this one for us? My sweetie darling Mithu. Hello, with a smiley face. How are you, Mithu? I miss you very much. I keep on thinking about the days I spent with you. I cannot take you out of my mind for even a second. Mithu, I love you very much. I can't forget the day I left from India. Mithu, I missed you so much. I was hurting inside. I wish I could leave everyone and come back to you, but it's very hard. See you soon. Write me back quickly. I always love you. You're in my heart forever. Anyways, I have to go on. 
Bye. Love you always. Jassi Sidhu. What does that tell you about their love, Ishwarya? There is so much I love you in this letter. It's right. so cute to me. There is a sadness also in the letter and maybe I'm mm. perceiving a sadness because I know about their life. But I can sense a sadness. She says she's hurting on the inside. Um, she says she's sad at one point in the letter. It's a moving ode to their love. It's adorable. And there were 256 of these. So wow. nobody could dispute they were in love. For five whole years, forget meeting physically, they hadn't video called each other. On the off chance, they were able to talk on landline, but that was rare. Despite that, they remained faithful to each other. As the two deepened their relationship, their letters became more intimate. On some occasions, Jussie would leave the imprint of her lipstick at the end of a letter. We have uploaded these letters on our Instagram at Desi Crime for you to read. But there was one major problem. Every brown kid knows this problem all too well. Personal space and privacy. Growing up, we never really got any, did we? But Jussie's situation was 10 times worse. She had to find some place to store these hundreds of letters that she used to receive. Her safest bet was her locker at the beauty school. Deb Devos remembers that one day Jussie came up to her and asked if Deb would ever go through her locker. Deb said, "Of course not. It's your locker, Jussie." Then she asked Deb if she would let her family go through her locker if they ever asked her, and Deb said, "Absolutely not." Deb truly cared for Jussie, and Jussie was aware of that. She confided in Deb about the letters in her relationship with Mitu. The last Jussie saw Mitu was in 1995. It is now 1999, and Jussie can reject only so many suitors before her family chooses one for her. In her letters to Mitu, she mentions how there is immense pressure on her to be married and finding a suitor, and that they'd need to find a solution quickly. So Jussie plots a plan. She tells her mother to take her back to Punjab so that they can find more men for her who might be suitable. Malkit had no reason to say no. This appeared to be a fair offer on its surface. But little did she know that Jussie had other plans. Upon landing in India, Mittu and Jussie went back to their Romeo and Juliet-like shenanigans. He used to jump over her house's fencing and meet her in secret. After five long years, these lovers had been reunited. But now what? How long can they just continue writing letters to each other? So, they did the unthinkable. Jussie asked Mittu to marry him, and Mittu said yes. On March 15th in 1999 in a secret ceremony a Sikh priest married Jassie and Mithu they were officially husband and wife at the wedding with some of Mithu's closest friends as witnesses their honeymoon lasted only for a night after which Jassie had to head thousands of miles back home they might have got what they wanted but i am not sure they were fully prepared for who and what awaited them upon her return jassi swore to secrecy the few people who knew about her marriage one of them was deb devos 
Jussie told Deb to honor the secrecy because if word about her affair with Mittu got to her family's ears, they would quote kill her. Unquote. So Aryan, I truly do understand the love and passion of the situation. I really do. But is there actually a plan? What are they going to do? Fine, they're technically married. But how exactly will this arrangement work without him physically being there and her family not knowing and her family trying to get her married? That's an important point you make, Ashwarya. And truth be told, I don't think they had planned that far ahead. In their defense, they're barely 20 and madly in love. They're impulsive, I would suspect. But to outline what their plan might have been, Jussie did file for Mithu's immigration to be processed. She hired a lawyer and hoped that their marriage status might help expedite Mithu's immigration. Once in Canada, it would probably be much easier to live a life and seek police protection. But while she was busy figuring this out in Maple Ridge, word of a secret marriage spread in that small village in Punjab. This rumour was picked up by a local relative of Malkit Kaur. This relative called up Malkit Kaur and gave her the rundown of what they've been hearing. Malkit and Surjit became very suspicious of Jussie. Another thing happened that pinged their radar. Remember I told you how Jussie's money was deposited straight into the family account, that she had no financial accounts of her own? So when she withdrew money from that account to send it to Mithu to buy a new scooter, Jussie's family caught her. They spotted those transactions in the records and knew something was definitely up. They wondered who would Jussie know in India that they wouldn't know. So the rumours of a secret wedding started making sense. And this entire scheme of secrecy fell through when Jussie's family discovered the final piece of the puzzle. They sent Jussie's brother to her beauty school to go through her stuff to find evidence. And when he broke into her locker, he found the missing pieces. The letters. Over 100 letters that spelled out their relationship from the beginning. That was it. It was all in plain for anyone to see. There was nothing left to hide. Surjit Singh Badesha went into flight or fight mode immediately. To him, his family's so-called honour was at stake. He had to take action. And he did. Firstly, Jussie was immediately locked up in the basement of that humongous mansion. Once Jussie was taken care of, they had to figure out what to do with this Mithu guy. In fact, when Malkit Kaur discovered pictures of Mithu, she cried out loud that she couldn't marry someone lower caste who was short, dark, ugly and looked feminine. Let me say two things. Firstly, Mithu in all honesty, and I'm a straight dude, but Mithu is a handsome bloke, hands down. Mithu and Jussie are a good-looking couple, objectively. Secondly, why do you all of a sudden care about looks when you're about to marry your daughter to a 60-year-old grandpa? Just goes on to show that if you need reasons to validate your preconceived beliefs, you will find many. So in order to cut Mithu out of the picture, Surjit Badesha got a judge from a lower court to draft up an affidavit which said that Mithu held Jussie at gunpoint and forced her to marry him. Now, 
this affidavit which alleged that Mittu kidnapped Jassi would mean nothing without Jassi's signature. But obviously, she wouldn't sign that lie. So what they did was, they presented that affidavit as property papers. They told Jassi to sign these property papers which will remove her from the rights of the property and then she can do whatever she wants with Mittu. Jassi didn't care about any property or land, nor could she read Gurumukhi, the script of the Punjabi language. So she acquiesced and signed those papers. Little did she know that the very papers she signed were about to be used to persecute the love of her life. Back in Punjab, the police have received the affidavit from Surjit Badesha, who flew all the way to have Mithu locked up. And just to be clear, at this point, Jassi and Mithu have no contact. So she can't call him and he can't express to her that all of this has happened and she can't clear all of this up. Jassi is locked up and Mithu is on the run. They have no means of contact at this point from whatever I have read. Now, Surjit was a man with money and power. That, along with the signed affidavit from Jassi, got work done pretty quick. Mithu was charged with fraud and several other offences and locked up. In this time, Jassi managed to amass courage and was able to place a call not to Mithu, but to the Canadian police. In an act of heroic rebellion, Jassi managed to escape the basement with the help of the Royal Canadian Police. She put together whatever little cash she had, her beautician tools and clothes in a suitcase and two garbage bags, and headed to a friend's house. On April 7th, 2000, Jassi successfully escaped the Maple Ridge Mansion and went to Tamara Lamberlin's house, a close friend of hers. She kept telling Tamara that she had to do something. She had to either bring Mithu to Canada or go to India and get him free. She mailed the Indian police details about her case and that there was a fake affidavit they had been provided. But she was told that Mithu would only be released if she was there in India in person. Jassi didn't have enough money to fly to India because her account had been frozen. So her friends helped her put some cash together to book a one-way flight to India. During this time, Mithu was subject to the corrupt Indian police system. Mithu's mother was harassed and his friend was beaten up. After being arrested, Mithu presented the cops with documents and pictures proving his genuine relationship with Jassi. But one officer allegedly said to him, quote, They gave us a car, you give us a motorcycle. Unquote. Mithu's cries went unheard and unanswered. In May of 2000, Jassi flies to India and goes into the police station where she meets an inspector named Jaskaran Singh. And like in all the stories we cover on Desi Crime, it's never black and white. It can be brown too. If some cops were bad, there are good ones too. Like Inspector Jaskaran Singh. She breaks down in front of him and narrates to him the actual story, the truth. He's flabbergasted at the extent of this conspiracy. He takes her to a lower court where she files a sworn testimony. Mithu, after being beaten, bruised and battered, is finally free, exempt from all the false charges levied against him. Mithu takes Jassi back to his village and introduces her to his mother and friends. 
But Mithu's mom is wise and far-sighted. She advises immediately that the couple goes and lives in hiding. She fears that the same person who tipped off Malkit about the secret wedding could do the same about their whereabouts. So the couple go and live in a nearby town with Mithu's relatives. They thought they had successfully escaped and a happy ending was in sight. Until sometime on June 8th, 2000, in a small town in Ludhiana, Mithu received a call from Canada. We are now back to where we began the story. You guys know how that phone call went. Malkit Kaur allegedly had made peace with her daughter's love affair and all she wanted was for her to come back. She gave her blessings and all was good. So when that evening Mithu was attacked and left for dead on the roadside, what happened to Jassi? Who took her? It turns out that the men were local gangsters and they took Jassi to a deserted house in a nearby village. All this was happening while these gangsters were on a call with someone. When these goons handed the phone to Jassi, on the other side of the call was someone Jassi couldn't believe. But deep down, she knew. It was Malkit Kaur Sidhu, Jassi's mom, who orchestrated the murder of her own daughter's husband. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Jassi's fate now rests in her own mother's hands. What happens next will blow your mind. The twists to this tale are yet to come. Is Mithu maybe still alive? Were the culprits behind the heinous crime ever apprehended? And were these lovers ever reunited? To find this out, tune in next week to part 2 of Loved to Death. Till then, stay safe, stay crazy. Stay there, see.